Grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a pleasure to be with you today and share God's word with you. This particular chapter of Luke chapter 15 has a special meaning to me because in that chapter you can really get a, a sense of God's heart and God's love for lost people. The chapter starts out with a lost sheep, then a lost coin, it ends with the prodigal son or the lost son. It reminds me kind of of my own life with my father who was not a, a big churchgoer. And I harassed him for years and years to finally get him to go to church. And one Sunday, he finally agreed, and I was shocked. I'm like, Mom, hurry before he changes his mind. And so he came with us to church, and he walked in the building, and somebody said to him, Oh, look, your long-lost prodigal father has returned. And my father didn't take too kindly to that words, and so he never went back to church ever again. My father passed away on Christmas Day, fittingly enough. It'll be 18 years this December. And this chapter always kind of gave me hope because it showed us how much and how desperately God pursues lost people. And so I know that God pursued my dad until the very end. My mother also had two sons, and so being the oldest, it fell on me to preach the sermon because my mom had a preacher and a accountant. So I always told mom, you have death and taxes covered. <laughs> so I remember as I drove down to Louisiana to do this sermon for my dad, just not sure what I was going to say because I didn't know where he was because he died kind of suddenly and we were apart at the time. And so I, I kind of, what motivates me to preach the gospel is to hope that no family ever stands over a casket and is unsure where God is. So I want to dig into this parable for you. hope you see some new parts of it that will help you in your, your walk with God. It starts out with a younger son who said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between the two of them. Now, as I mentioned, I grew up in the South, and we have a different system of honor and code down South and respect. And so my mom was a good Southern woman. And I said, Mom, what would happen if I came to you and did that and say, Mom, I want my share of your estate before you die? And she said, well, when you woke up, we talk about it. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm not sure what that means, Mom. It's like, well, once your dental work is all correct and you wake up, we'll talk about it. But in this case, the father does honor the son's request. And I, what I was amazed by this was the younger son is given his freedom to make his own choices and to deal with his own consequences. And so he gets his inheritance. And as most young people do, if you give them a bunch of money before they're ready, he goes off to a distant land and he squanders it, surprisingly enough. And when all the money runs out, the son comes back and realizes that he has to find employment now. And so he hires himself out to a person who works with pigs. Now, as Pastor mentioned, I'm in Iowa. And we did a survey, and there's 3 million people in the entire state of Iowa. But we have 30 million hogs. <laughs> so in case this thing had gone bad with COVID, we could just shut Iowa down and all had pork and bacon for a long time. 
but you, you get to know what it's like to grow up around pigs. My son actually works at a pig processing plant, and, I, and I'll tell you, watching what pigs eat and how pigs smell, you can understand what this young boy was going through. All of a sudden now, he, because he's lost all of his money, he's now forced to work in the fields with the pigs. But it's deeper than that because, see, for a Jewish boy, it was even more of a traumatic experience because for the Jews, pigs were considered unclean animals. So even to touch a pig meant that you became ceremonially unclean. So what that meant for him was he's cut off from his family and now he's also cut off from God. Because as long as you're unclean, you can't be in the house of God. You can't be in the presence of God. So now this young man is cut off from his family and he's cut off from his faith. As he's sitting there being tempted, even the pigs are eating, he comes to his senses, he hits rock bottom and says, my father's hired servants have more to eat than I do. What if I go back and ask my father's forgiveness? And so he begins to formulate what he's going to say. He says, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me back into your household as one of your hired hands. I want you to imagine as a father what it's like to have a son that has disrespected you and gone off on his own. You're not sure whether he's dead or alive. You know you've sent your son out into the world with a lot of money and little experience. There is no text message to him to tell you he's okay. He can't send you a clapping, smiling emoji to say I'm fine. There's no telegraph. There's no communication. If you're a father, you're probably walking every day at the end of your property, looking down the road, hoping to see that familiar figure that looks like your son. Hoping he's come to his senses, hoping he's coming home again. And imagine this young boy as he's getting ready to go home and he's got his excuse all formulated. He's probably practicing the look that would melt his dad's heart. You see, I have six kids and I know when one of my kids has done something wrong because they give me that look. You know that look that you get when your kid does something wrong and they want you to forgive them? The last time I saw I kind of in tandem with all my kids together when they wanted a dog. And they were sitting on the steps with that look on their face and they were like all sheepishly going, Dad, can we have a dog? And I'm like, you know I hate animals, right? <laughs> but because they gave me that look, Dad gave in and we had a dog. Of course, I knew what was going to happen. I'm the one taking care of the dog, which is why I didn't want one. But I'm sure this young man is practicing that look for his dad because he's got to really get back into his dad's good graces. And so as he's walking down the block, or walking down the street, his dad recognizes him. And the text gives you this amazing picture. It says the dad, while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. You got, you got this beautiful hallmark moment, don't you? The father is here. The son is there. There's a, there's a row of daisies and they're running through the field. And his robe is flying behind him. Except that's not what's happening here in the text. It would be a beautiful moment, but that's not what's happening. 
Because they lived in an honor and shame society, the son had brought shame on the family by his asking for his inheritance early. If anybody had seen that son from the community and recognized that son, they would have taken him down to the town square and had him stoned to death for bringing dishonor on the family. The reason the father was running to meet his son was not because it was a hallmark moment. He was literally running to save his son's life. And notice the order of the text. He runs to meet his son. He is filled with compassion. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Before the son apologized. Once the father hugs his son and kisses him, then the son gets out this line he's been practicing. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Will you welcome me back into your household as one of your hired hands? And then the most amazing part of the story happens. The father says to the servants, bring the best robe we have and put it on him. Put sandals on his feet and the ring on his finger. Kill the fattened calf and let's celebrate because this lost son of mine has returned. You see, the father didn't just welcome the son back into the household as a servant. By putting the robe on him, by putting the sandals on his feet, by putting the family signet ring back on his finger, he says, I'm welcoming you back into this family as a full-blown son. I'm restoring you back to all the rights and all the privileges of a son. As I look out at the racial issues in our country today, my heart breaks. Because I look at all the people out there and they remind me of this young boy. They're out in the world and they're lost. As I was coming here, a pastor came to me and said, Pastor Keith, I'm preaching on race this week. You got any advice for me? And I said, yeah, don't. <laughs> I said, if you like your church, don't do that. No, but then I gave him some other advice. I said, if you're going to do that, because he was going to focus on baptism and, and talk about how we're all connected in baptism. And I said, well, the problem with that is I don't know if the people you see on TV who are in the midst of all this tension are baptized children of God. So we can't start assuming that they're all baptized children of God. What we can start with, with the identity we do all share together, we all stand before God in the beginning as sinners in need of God's grace. When I look out and I see the racial tension in our country, what I see is, like Jesus saw, sheep without a shepherd. I see lost people who are angry, who are hopeless, who don't understand what tomorrow is going to look like, and they don't have a, the assurance of a Savior, and they're lost and they're making bad decisions, bad choices. They don't have their faith grounded in something. What I see is people who need the ministry of reconciliation that the church has. They need the hope that the church has. They need the love that the church has. What's missing to me in all of the racial talk that I hear in the world is the voice of the church, the voice of the believer, the one who reminds people that there's a Savior out there who's searching for you, who loves you, 
who wants to run out into a, a daisy field with his arms extended and hug you and embrace you and kiss you and welcome you back into the family of God. And we, as the people of God, get the privilege of sharing that message of hope with a lost and dying world. That's what's missing in the conversation. Love, peace, forgiveness. I hear repentance being cried out, but I don't hear reconciliation also being cried out. We are the ambassadors of reconciliation. As we go back to the story, so as the older brother comes to the house and he hears all the celebration, he's kind of going on, what's happening? He's like, well, your, your long lost brother has returned and we're kidded to kill the fatted calf and we're celebrating. And the older brother doesn't have an excitement in his heart. He has resentment and anger in his heart. And he refuses to go in and celebrate. And his reason for that is because, you know, God, he says, Father, I've done all this stuff for you, and there's no celebration for me. And it sounds a lot like me at times. When I ask myself or ask God, God, why is there no special gold plaque on my favorite chair in church. All the things I've done for you, God, I, I go to all those meetings, I've baked all those pies, I've hammered all those nails, I've set up all those chairs, I've served on all those committees, and, and not once, God, have you said thank you. All the stuff I've done for you, and never once have you killed even a small goat, God, to appreciate all I've done for you. We often look at this parable and say there's really only one lost son, but there's really two lost sons. Because the older brother is also lost. You see, he was looking for God to validate his life, his service, and missed out on the connection that he had with God. You can be so busy serving God, you forget to spend time with God. And so it was a warning for all the older brothers and sisters out there who give their life to God but don't always remember to connect with God. And for all those lost sons, the young one and the old one, God says, all that I have is yours. And I give you all the gifts of the kingdom because of Christ's death and resurrection. But the most important thing about this text is the celebration. I think churches need to have way more celebrations. And we celebrate when a lost sinner, a lost brother or sister comes home. We should throw the biggest party in the world because God has done an amazing work in that person's heart. He has turned the enemy of God into a friend of God and the church needs to celebrate those conversions. It is my deep prayer that my father had that celebration before he died. And all of heaven rejoiced when he came home. And there's probably people in your family you're praying for those celebrations for too. But when they happen, lift it up high. Give thanks to God for his work. In the meantime, as a church, we have work to do. We have the message that the world needs to hear, one of hope and healing and reconciliation. May God use you as instruments of peace, as messengers of the gospel, 
as people who pour into a broken and torn world the love of Christ. Amen. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.